Good morning. Give someone a high five and say it's a great day to be alive. You may be seated. How many of you love the scripture? I got it. I got it. I, I have it on every device, every every technological device in different apps and different things, but I still love my paper copy. Just gives me some sort of emotional connection that the, that the screen doesn't. Uh, if you've got one of these or one of these, would you turn it to 2 Kings chapter 5? I want to relay a story um, about a man called Naaman that changed his life forever as he encountered the true and living God. And I'm hoping to stitch some of my own personal story into that. We meet this man, um, 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1, uh, called Naaman, and this is the, the very first uh, line that we read about him. It's very helpful in that it gives us a lot about him in three lines. It says, Naaman was the commander of the army of the king of Aram. Now, you'll know from your Bible reading that this would place him outside of the covenant people of Israel, that he was not in on the promises of God. He was an outsider to the faith of the, the, that the text of Scripture points to, ultimately fulfilled in Jesus, this one true God, Yahweh, that the Jews worshipped, ultimately fulfilled in the Messiah. He did not know this God. He worshipped a different God uh, from his nation called Rimon. Uh, and his culture was all built around worship, and there was a temple to the God of Rimon. How many know that we are worshipers, and worship we must, and when we don't know the true and living God, our hearts are idol factories, Calvin said, and we will always attach to something to give us identity, meaning, purpose, and it may not have a name like Rimon or Yahweh or, or, or any other sort of religious name. It may have all kinds of other names and be disguised, but make no mistake, there are evil powers behind the throne of what we call idols. And this man served what the scripture calls um, idols. He, 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 he was the commander of the army of uh, the Aramean nation. And he was a great man in the sight of his master, that would have been the king, and because of his position as a military commander, he was highly regarded, because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. Now, um, you, may be, you may be here, and you're not sure if you're a Christian, or sure you're not a Christian, you're trying to figure this out, you're on a journey, it is wonderful that you're here. And we can only hope that with time that you'll come to a pl place where your doubt leads you towards Jesus, where you wrestle genuinely with, question, with questions of identity, of purpose, um, of significance, and that you bring those questions into this community and that you cross a line of faith in Jesus Christ. Um, this man uh, was, was outside of the faith of Jesus. And I want you to pay attention to the fact that although he was outside of this faith in Yahweh, that same Yahweh, when you see that text, L-O-R-D, in capital letters, it is Yahweh. This very Yahweh that he did not know had been working in the background of his life, giving him victory, enabling him to accomplish things for the kingdom of God in the name of a God that he did not know and did not serve. I want to encourage you, if you're here and you're developing faith and you, you're trying to figure this out, God has always been working in your life. 
This is not the first moment. He has been there in the background all the time. His grace has been present in your life. His hand has been working in your life. And we truly believe that he's brought you here, even to this very service. Perhaps it's your first or second time, uh, and you've come with a lot of questions, that this is a moment that God has orchestrated, has ordained, because he is never far from us. And so it says that God has been working in his life. He, he thought that he was amazing, right? He was this military commander. God had used him to give incredible conquests, and he thought it was all done in the name of his God, Ramon. He did this worshiping his idols, just being successful in the world and defining himself by this great position of high regard, but actually it was the favor of God on his life that enabled him to do those things. Um, there is nothing that we can cause, uh, good or bad, actually. We, we, can, we can trust Jesus that he is always at work in the background of our lives. And so it says that he is, was a valiant soldier, but he had this tension in his life. He also had leprosy. Now, if you had leprosy in that culture, you were not just an extremely sick person, that your, your life would definitely not last more than a few years beyond that point that you, were, you contracted leprosy, but you were also considered to be stricken by whatever spiritual powers there were, to be judged and to be cursed. And so you lived not just with physical pain, but with social exclusion. And so Naaman has this tension in his life. He has these amazing things that God has used him to do, and this amazing power that he has in his life. But at the same time, he has this incredible sickness and this dark struggle, and, the, and he lives inside of this tension. How many of you are a mixture here? You're a mixer. You've got stuff on the surface that everybody thinks is wonderful, but actually beneath the surface, you are fighting some battles, right? And I wanted to just begin there because I think that's been so much of, of my story. So let me just give you a little bit more uh, formal introduction to my family. Um, this is my wife, uh, Victress Fezile Mbali. Uh, coming up on the screen, and of course, none of us look like this in real life. This is all just filters, and it's for Instagram. Um, and, uh, and, and these are my two kids. Uh, we have cappuccino babies. I just love, can I say, like, I just, I become a different person when I come to Cape Town, because we don't, we don't have a lot of cappuccino babies in the, in, 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 in the Easter Cape. Keep making cappuccino babies to the glory of Jesus here. When I, I was in a restaurant last night, I, I had to struggle not to be weird because there was, there was this colored couple with this cute little baby, and I'm just like, ah, I want to be your friends. I want to come to your house. He said, control yourself. Calm down. Um, and so, so these are my cappuccino babies. This is Mesuli Wenyembezi, and... Um, her full name uh, is, uh, when, she, when, she, when she was born, we said, the, the Lord is the one, uh, the Lord, Yahweh, he is the one who wipes away our tears with the oil of his joy. Um, and so, her her name, her ID document is Mesuliwe Nyembe Zi. And her second name is Michlali. We just wanted to use all of, the, all of the blocks on the government form. Just, you know, when you're given space, you must do something with it. And um, the reason that she's got this name, we, 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 were, we were thinking about having children in a very difficult season of our lives. Uh, I've been in the ministry at that point for 12 or 13 years. And um, 
served in different contexts in, in churches, and my wife had been with me for, for, for just about six years at that point. Uh, but beneath the surface of what kind of looked like a success in, in ministry, we were deeply troubled and wounded people. And we realized when we, when we were confronted with the fact that our bodies were getting old and we needed to have kids soon, that we did not feel like it was responsible for us to bring another child into our family. We honestly, truly, uh, in the depth of our hearts, felt like we might do damage to a small human being uh, in the condition that we find our hearts in. And this is why we're leading a church, okay, and asking other people to be like us. And to be, to be honest, before, in that condition, I really, I love Jesus, I believed in Jesus, I'd been preaching and moving people towards Jesus as much as I could for years, but if I was totally honest in my own assessment of our lives, I wouldn't want anyone in the church to actually be like us and to actually live the life that we were living or to, be feel, to feel the way we felt. Um, I wanted them to love Jesus, I wanted them to be pointed to Jesus, but I didn't want them to become like me, and we realized, hey, this is all wrong. We are, we are meant to be making disciples and inviting people into a life that we ourselves experience. And it was just about that time that Jason and Sue came into our lives. And uh, you may not have known this, but just a few months before that, I'd sat down with Vicky and I'd said, we need to turn our lives upside down. We see a future here that if we don't resolve this tension between being a valiant soldier and having leprosy substantially, we are going to be, be uh, our future does not look good. And... Um, so we started on a process of turning our lives upside down, and we decided to put 90% of our time into becoming the right people, that people that Jesus could truly include in his family for all eternity, and leave the remaining 10% as an offering uh, of gratitude to the church. And in faith, we just did that. We just turned it upside down. And, I, and, and, and so over the course of time, we we really, we really began to heal, and it was during this time, and Jason and Sue helped us greatly with conversations, and we came to Freedom Encounter with you guys, that, you, you, that was such a wonderful moment in our lives, um, and in, the, in, in this process, this beautiful little girl was born, and when we were thinking about a name for her, we met somebody who said, um, uh, in the church, we're just in a, in a cafe environment, and we said, what's, what's, your, what's your name? She said, I'm Mesuli. And we said, uh, what do you wipe? Because that literally means the one who wipes. Um, and even my daughter, I, I, when we were explaining this to her, she, she says, but daddy, I'm not a tissue. <laughs> we're like, yes, 10 points, for, 10 points for comprehension, zero for context. Um, and, and, and so she, we said, well, what do you wipe if you are Mesuli? And she says, no, I'm Mesuli Wenyembezi. As Jesus is the one who wipes away tears, I am also a comforter. I'm the one who wipes away tears. And so... So we were just like, oh, we are so stealing your name. And, um, and, and so as Masuli was born into our lives, we felt like it came with this season where God would say, let, let, just take a, let me take away from you everything that you do in terms of its ability to give you your identity, in terms of its ability to give you your sense of meaning and value and dignity and worth. Stop building your lives around what you do and get several layers beneath the surface just to be with me and become like me, and then I'll give you back what you do. And it was after uh, three years that our son Nziga was born, and uh, so his full name is Nziga Yesizwe. He is the, the, the pillar. So 
um, the Psalms speak about the righteousness and justice being the pillar or the foundation um, of the world and of God's rule. And so, so, so if you are familiar with an Eastern Cape household, you know that uh, there may be several huts in a configuration around a central larger hut, and that hut is propped up by a pillar in the middle, which enables you to push the walls wider. And the, 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 what happens in this hut is that this is the, the central meeting place for the family. It's where the family's communal identity is formed. And because it needs to be bigger, this pillar holds the whole thing up, and that pillar is called Nziga. This is the, this is the pillar that holds up the home, holds up our household. Um, and so when he was born, we felt like what God was doing was, was bringing back to us our commission, our missional purpose of seeing righteousness and justice fill the nations of the earth. And that he would be a person who has a sense of being born because of the person of Jesus Christ and his mission into a world that is not random and chaotic and disordered so much as it is, it is underpinned uh, and, he, and, and is busy being healed by the presence of the kingdom of God. There is something at work within South Africa that's more important than the government. It's more important than an economy. It's not linked to the world of men. It is the righteousness and justice of God that is forming a true and solid foundation for all human flourishing. There is something bigger going on in our lives. And we feel, yeah, that's clapworthy, yeah. And so, 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 so having, having gone to the Eastern Cape, feeling like, what are we here for? We don't even know who we are, let alone what we're supposed to do. We began to sense this deep sense of calling to the rural Eastern Cape. Um, Jesus. Uh, that a region that is marred by poverty, that is, that is distorted by, by racial injustice, that is so, so deep into fatherlessness and the brokenness that comes from the, well, the destruction of the family unit, that the, the presence of God would bring into that space through our lives a family on mission that is living out a new identity and bringing healing uh, to the earth. And you too are part of that mission through Jason and Sue. That's, that's when you don't see him and he's ministering in the Eastern Cape, know that you have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren in the Eastern Cape. You have churches and homes that are not from your family of origin, but they are from the mission of Jesus Christ. And may you always continue to be a generous and sowing church in Jesus' name. And so the, the juxtaposition, the flow of these two children's names... Uh, First of all, God taking away everything that we had made uh, to define ourselves and then giving it back to us um, with the birth of our son is reflected in the life of Naaman as well, and I believe in our lives also, that Jesus Christ wants to establish the issue of identity in order to establish the issue of mission. He wants to form within us a robust identity in order to form within us the mission. And so what this means, we see played out in Naaman's life that we are called to lay down what the scripture calls idols. And Naaman had made idols for himself. He goes and seeks healing. And what's incredible is that in, in verse 2, it says this, now bands from Aaron had gone out and taken captive, a young girl from Israel. So she was probably a preteen or a teen, and she served Naaman's wife. She's a slave. She's an Israelite slave. And she said to her mistress, uh, this guy looks stressed out. 
um, what if you go and see the prophet who's in Samaria, my God, my Yahweh, even though you don't serve him, and even though you captured me and told me that he's not really powerful, I want to tell you that if he goes there, my God will sort him out. The most powerless person in this story becomes the reason that everything turns around. Never underestimate who you are because of whose you are. You don't need power in the culture to have power in the kingdom. And for so long, the church has been seeking power in the culture and wooing, wooing empire when actually what we need is the power of the kingdom. The government will not change our future. The kingdom of God will change it. One little slave girl, a teenager from an ethnic minority, turns this whole story around. And so Naaman is challenged by that. And he says, okay, maybe there's something other than my God, Rimon. Let me go check it out. And in verse 4, Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. And his master, the king, said, by all means, go. I'll send a, a, a letter to the king of Israel. And so Naaman left, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, 10 sets of clothing, and seven Mercedes Benzes. <laughs> Just thought I'd contextualize that for you. The, the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, with this letter, I'm sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now, Naaman has built his life on the power that the culture gives him. He is successful, he is wealthy, he's held in high esteem, and he is going to a God that he wants something from, but he's not willing to be saved by that God. He's actually saved by his wealth and his power and his prestige in the community, and so he's trying to buy his healing. He's coming to this God and, and wanting to pay for healing because that's how it works. Uh, he, he doesn't understand this, this, uh, what is coming his way. Um, and so he has this idol. I want to I ask you, uh, this, is, this, is, this is what I want to suggest to you about idolatry. Idolatry is taking something that describes you and giving it the ability to define you. Only you can give permission and power for something that describes you to define you. You come, into the, you come into the church, and God wants to start to wrestle with these things. And I want you to see how this plays out in, uh, in, 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 in uh, Naaman's life. So he comes, and remember, he would have had a lot of pomp and ceremony. He came with this entourage of soldiers, probably a whole lot of camels, which were the Mercedes-Benz of the day, and he's... Uh, he, he probably had praise singers who are announcing his fame in the Eastern Cape before a dignitary speaks. If they're very important, they have people that tell everybody how important they are, and they come in and they sing their praise names. I, he is this, he is that, he, ah, and the history and the clans, and ah, all the praise names are coming, and everyone's like, ah, he's coming, and they're like, yeah, he's coming, and then, and then he's like, yeah, it's me. Uh, important people need an introduction, and Naaman has this I guess this incredible introduction, and he comes to the door of the prophet, and uh, it says, he comes to the door of the prophet, and in verse 10, it says, Elijah, Elisha, rather, sent a messenger to him that says, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you'll be cleansed. Now, <laughs> even in the Eastern Cape, we were considered to be very rude, you know, and the servant was probably like, um, do you know who he is? 
Do you know that, by the way, if you make him angry, he's thumped our nation several times already, and maybe you should come to the door yourself or at least invite him in for tea, you know? But Elijah's sitting in his big armchair, and he looks over his shoulder, and he just says to someone who's in his household, just, uh, oh, that guy, yeah, yeah, just go tell him to have a bath in the river. Everybody's like, how much disrespect. (laughs) And it says this, Naaman went away angry in verse 11. He, He walked away from the door. And he said, I thought that this guy, Elisha, would surely come out to me because I'm a great man. And I've done great things. And stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spots of leprosy, and cure my leprosy. And by the way, aren't Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than the waters of Israel? Couldn't I have stayed in my own country and washed in them to be cleansed? And so he turned and went off in a rage. It's amazing that sometimes we are more interested in holding on to our pride than receiving our healing. We will give up the thing that God is really trying to do in our lives, and, 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 and sometimes only other people can see it. And look what happens in verse 13. Naaman's servants, <laughs> Naaman's servants went to him, and I think this took a lot of courage. Do you know when, do you know when people need to tiptoe around your ego? And they're like, they're like who's going to talk to him because this is crazy. We did it last time. <laughs> oh, let's go again. Best of three. You know? And then some courageous person is like, you tell him. And they're like, ah, oh, great and magnificent, conquering Naaman. He who has the heads of many enemies upon his spear. Great and wise king. May I humbly make a suggestion to you? And he says, I thought, sorry, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored and became clean like a young boy. Naaman humbled himself, took a bath, and God healed him. Now, how many know that that Elisha could actually have just healed him with a word? He could even have spoken a word while Naaman was in a different country and sent the message asking for healing, and God was able to heal him there. But the process of Naaman coming and having to do something that he thought was beneath him set him free from the demonic power of an idol in his heart and the pride through which he had created a false identity. And spiritually speaking, he was willing to let go of his created identity and his power, the power that it gave him in the culture. And the minute he let go of that identity and the spiritual forces behind it, the king of kings came rushing into his life and healed him. And so one of the things that happens in a church community is you come with all sorts of things that you and I have been using to give us power in the culture. Things that may not have names, but they actually are real idols for us. And the work of God is to use community to humble us so that we can discover who God truly is. We discover that the things that we have been worshiping can't save us, and now we start to learn who we really are, and we now enter in the third phase into his mission for other people and we re-identify ourselves as people who live 
for the love of God in other people's lives. God is going to fight with you as you come into the church. I'm sorry about that bad news, but he is going to wrestle with you because beneath the surface of your life, you and I, whether we realize it or not, we have invisible operating systems at the level of identity, things that we've used to define ourselves. You know, for me, what I realized in this period that I described earlier is that I loved ministry more than I loved Jesus. That's why I was living. That's why I was always willing to do much more than I was required to do. That's why I wouldn't even let other people serve in places in the church, because I know you don't do it as well as me. Um, Let me just show you how that's done. And it looked like I was doing the best for God, but at a deep, dark, evil level, I actually wanted to feel better about myself by doing more for God, because I loved the I loved what I, how I felt when I got praise for doing well for God much more because of my insecurity than seeing other people uh, doing it. And uh, you know how good COVID was for me? Because the church dis- disappeared and we did online church like you guys did. And I remember one day there was like three people online for like six weeks and, and one of them was my mom. And she's like, I love you, Glennie. You're such an amazing preacher. Exclamation mark, emoji, emoji. <laughs> Stop, mom. It's embarrassing. There's no church here. Stop celebrating something that's dead. And I got to the point where I didn't even want to watch it. And I tell you something, it was so good for me because I was, I was being brought into a process of repentance and of surrendering that which was too important for me. You know, even good stuff can become too important for you if it's at the level that, of God in your life. If, you, if it's not, no longer something that describes you, oh, you're a preacher, now it defines you. Only Jesus, only Jesus. He will not allow you to name anything else (laughs) as your God. And he will not allow you to be named by anything else. And what's going to happen as you come into community is that that progressively, and you know this because of, 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 of small groups, you know this because of discipleship, because of this church's emphasis on spiritual formation, you know this stuff already. But what's going to happen is through a community, God is progressively going to challenge your idols. He's going to challenge your false identities. He's going to challenge your idols. And the, the, the difficult thing about that is most of the time, he's not going to say it to you directly. Most of the time, I mean, wouldn't it be great? Like, it's so easy when you get a prophetic word and someone's like, Thus saith the Lord, this is God using the God voice, in case you're confused, do this or do that. You just, ah. That's what I was, I just burst into tears. I'm like, you can have it, Jesus. I'm so sorry. You can have it. I didn't have to hold on to this thing. Okay. But most of the time, he doesn't speak like that. Most of the time, what he does is he brings you into a community of people who are not worshiping the gods that you surreptitiously worship, and now those relationships start to challenge the ways that you get power and identity for yourself that are false, and you start to get uncomfortable. And do you see how, 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 do you see how spicy Elisha is? He's spicy on purpose. He is sitting in his chair, and he's like, oh, there's part of this guy's life that he doesn't realize right now that is way more important to him than it ought to be. And he will never enter into the freedom that God wants for him until he lays that down. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to explain to him why I'm not coming to the door. Do you know, some of you are in groups 
and your leaders have just said something to you or asked you to do something or challenged you on something, and you're all kind of offended, you're all kind of angry, you're all kind of like, they don't understand me. And, and, and actually, what it is, it's the voice of God. It's God trying to set you free from stuff. And you know, all of us, we, we, we don't really see ourselves well. Have you noticed this? The, the servants know this powerful master. They can see it, but he can't see it. He's, he can't see it because, not because, just because he's powerful, but because that power gives him his identity. Yeah. And people, you actually are blind to your true self. You need other people to help you see yourself. My wife has helped me see myself. She has fought with me for 10 years in the name of Jesus. She has loved me through my idolatry. She has humbled me. She has been gracious. She's been on the receiving end of all kinds of ego trips and all sorts of rage like Naaman. No, what do you mean? I'm this guy. You know, you're saying I'm not the guy. I'm supposed to be. You see, men, we have a big problem here. We need to listen to our wives. And, uh, and, and in her grace, she just was patient, and she left some things alone, and she challenged it other times. And, you know, none of us really, really see ourselves. Hey, you see this on idols. It's interesting that idols is called idols, isn't it? Interesting. Um, and, uh, and you see this on idols because you get these people who come in and they're like, yeah, yeah, you know, I just do this with my friends and I dropped a couple of tracks and we did a recording and I think, you know, I'm just, I'm, some, some of these people are here to, for the experience, but I'm here to win it. I'm here to, you know, these guys are playing. I'm here to win it. And they get in, they're like, And that's when Somizi encourages them, like, do another chorus. Do another. You're like, stop. And Randall is just like, how long is it going to take before we get to the stuff that's meaningful? He's always smearing his face, you know. And then they're just like, no, sorry, it's not too, it's not too late to give up your job at the fish and chip shop, you know. And, um, you know, the amazing, the amazing thing to me is not that people try and stretch into areas that, and take risks. I think that's really great. But... The amazing thing is, 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 is that afterwards, they're just like, oh, you know, man, maybe people just don't understand me. They just don't see talent, you know. You know, maybe it's like a Joburg thing because I'm from Cape Town. Maybe, you know, I'll be back next year. I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll see you next year. I'm going to win this. Yeah. Remember this name. <laughs> and they came in like thinking top 10 golden ticket and they actually feature on wooden mic. But they're still encouraged by the fact that they're on TV. I'm gonna do it, yeah, mom. I'm on TV, and she's like, but "It's wooden mic, you know." It's not a, it's not a compliment, and uh, and and you know, it's just doing simple things. What happens is, this is the thing. Like, some of you are really powerful people in the city, but what's going to happen as you come into the church is you're not going to stop being those people, but simple acts of service to other people in the church are going to start to challenge your identity, and that is really important for us. That is really powerful for us. Uh, you know, I had a testimony in my connect group this week where um, one, of, one of our young adults who's like a really, just like a brilliant person, I'm so, I have so much admiration for him, and he's, he interrupted our connect group. He's like, guys, what we're talking about is boring. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I have to tell you my testimony. And he says, I started serving for the first time last week, and I was on parking, and I got to hold a sign and welcome people. And I realized in this moment that I am an ambassador for who God is and how he wants things to be in the world. And now I realize 
there's some stuff that I'm doing, like I'm, I'm some places on a Saturday night that I'm not supposed to be, and I would be doing damage to people who came to church seeing me welcome them if I'm living according to those idols, you know, uh, on a Saturday night. And so because God would trust me with the lives of other people, I suddenly have a new identity. Do you see what serving does for you? You know, it's not just about the practical thing. It's, it's when you wash feet, suddenly Christ comes into your heart. And, 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 and so, so simple stuff. You've got to do just simple stuff and listen to your leaders and, and, and follow and serve and give because this is a wrestling match between idols and, between, and, and, and the true and living God. And Jesus loves us too much to allow us to have more power and responsibility in the, in the, in the kingdom of God while we're still carrying our idols that will distort that. And I just love how your church has pursued emotional health, pursued Jesus getting deep beneath the layers of our lives, that we would serve from a place of authenticity. I think, and I want to say this over this church, that there's an authentic witness of the gospel here that is more important than a lot of things that are considered to be important in church nowadays. It is your authenticity, Legacy Church, that will influence this world. It is your authenticity. It is the authentic work of Jesus Christ that, they are lo- that people are looking for. They, they can get this, this uh, cool, the cool stuff. You guys are cool stuff. Your building looks amazing. I love the rebrand. But, but to be honest, people can get that. They can get that somewhere else and better. They can go to a Beyonce concert. Okay? But what they're looking for is your authentic lives, stripped down of the stuff that was ugly and used to give you power. And now you, they see that there's a true and living God on the throne in a diverse community. Are you ready for that, Legacy Church? Do you want that? I believe that Jesus is doing that in all the earth. Let me give you three things that I think will help you to find your identity in Jesus' family on mission. How do you find your identity in Jesus' family on mission? First of all, we have to resist individualism and, identity and, and find an identity as part of a spiritual family. Uh, we, can, we are in Africa, but we can consider ourselves to be deeply influenced by a Western theological mindset. And a Western theological mindset is not a communal mindset. It's an individualistic mindset that comes from Greek philosophy. The, the message that the church has imbibed in the West is you can be a unique and significant and powerful individual, and God will come into your life to bless you and fulfill your dreams. And it couldn't be further from the biblical mandate God wants to bring us into a family of people that we didn't choose in order to form us into a a family that has an emotional identity, exists for others. And that is where our true significance comes from. And Jesus will always use us. He will always always use the community to challenge us. Now, if we are going to grow in power in God, in in the kingdom. We have to be open to people who are different to us. We have to have a a purposeful and intentional opening to other people in our lives. Have you noticed that when you said yes to Jesus, he came with friends? You notice that? You know, because somebody prayed at the end of the service, do you want to invite Jesus into your life? And you're like, open the door of your life, and Jesus walks in, you're like, welcome Jesus. And then you're like, who's this? And who's this? And she's annoying. Really? Oh my gosh, I have a better job than her. <sighs> Look at those nails. <sighs> yeah. And you're like, who are all these people? He comes, he doesn't even ask permission. He just busts the door open and brings a whole lot of people with him. And that is, that's what's so good for us. You know, the way that my family grew up really just reflected some of these, these, these ways. You know, I, um, um, when I was getting married to, to, to my wife, uh, Vicky, 
my gran really had major, a major problem with this. She was, she was low-key angry and felt betrayed, but because she's British, she was very polite about it. <laughs> and um, so, so she, I'm sitting down with her, and I'm trying to tell her, you know, we're going to get engaged. This is the, what the process looks like. This is, I want you to know my person. And she's just all kinds of flustered, and, and she, she just told me, no, flat out, your, your cultures are too different. So I'm trying to explain to her there's something deeper than my culture in my life now. And so I said, Gran, I, 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 when I met Jesus, something more important happened to me that gave me an identity that is a level deeper than anything that I grew up with, anything that the world can offer me, deeper than my success. And she's just, she interrupts me, she's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. And she speaks with this British accent. Uh, she, she, she says, hold on, Kenny, what do you mean when you became a Christian? You know, my grand glorifies, you know, speaking with good English accent, the good English accent. What do you mean when you became a Christian? She says, you've always been a Christian. You're British. <laughs> I was born, like, whether you like it or not, compulsory salvation, compulsory heaven for you because of your ethnicity. <laughs> And, like, my gran honestly believes that, you know, the pearly gates or whatever, this kind of this weird picture, it's not even in the Bible. There's going to be these gates, and there's going to be, like, I don't know, somebody there, like an admissions guy. And there's going to be this long queue of people coming to get into the new Jerusalem. And at that point, they're going to be like, do you, have you put your faith in Jesus? All right, you're good. Have you put your faith in Jesus? You're good. Have you put your faith? Okay, you're good. And then they'll be like, anyone with a British passport? We just <laughs> come, ma'am, yes? It's like priority boarding straight through. Um, and so, you see, she was, she'd taken something that described her, and now it defined her, and it had power over her, and she was, she would, although she would call herself a Christian, she was much more comfortable with me marrying someone who had no relationship with God and all kinds of massive issues in their life so long as they were of a certain, certain ethnicity and they looked like us and it would make her keep her cultural power. And so it was an idol, wasn't it? And, and so, uh, so, so deep down, now, what ensued was about a year of massive conflict in our family and misunderstandings and eventually it just all went quiet and uh, I'll never forget at one of my three weddings, I had three weddings, I'm very married, I wanted to make sure <laughs> she doesn't get away. <laughs> do you? Yes. Do you still? Yes. Do you really? Yes. And so we said that in different ways through communal experiences. One of them in Guadalajara is called a membeso. And um, it comes from the, from the verb mbesa, to, to cover or to clothe or to, to honor in a way that you're clothed. And what that involves primarily is that we buy these blankets for every member of Vicky's family and we cover them symbolically, honoring them, thanking them for the role that they played in her life, uh, acknowledging and seeing every member of the community uh, and, and affirming how this person doesn't come from nowhere so she can't be released to marry someone without the community that has formed her. Some young people are trying to get married in an individualistic way, and, you, and you'll never have a powerful, strong marriage unless it's a marriage in community. Romance is not two people disappearing into the sunset holding hands on a beach in Bali. I love you so much. I'm so glad it's you and me. But your family's been telling you for like three years that this dude is an idiot, and he has other women on the side, and he's in debt. And he has an alcohol problem, but because you feel in love. <laughs> See, I better stop. 
And, and then they switch roles, okay? And, and, and my grand is getting embedded, and they make these speeches about her, and they honor her, and they go through whatever layers of, of understanding they have about our community, and, they, and then they thank her, and they ask her to release this family to, to, you know, for this marriage, and all of these beautiful gospel things that exist beneath the surface of, of, of our brownness. Um, and, 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 and then she asks for the mic. And you don't do this, okay? And, uh, but because you're white, you think you can. It's like, <laughs> I got something to say. I was just, I'm looking at this, I'm like, please, Jesus, please. Please come back before she says anything. I pray for load shedding stage nine. I don't know if there's a stage nine, but I prayed, just take power from the whole of Africa just to make sure, you know? <laughs> and old lady, she's met Jesus now, by the way, and she's with Jesus. <laughs> she's with Jesus. She's with Jesus right now while I'm preaching this. She's with Jesus. <laughs> she met him. But this was, I think this may even have been one of the moments that she chose to follow him. And she, she gets up, this old lady, and she's still got this blanket around her symbolizing the, the way that she's been embraced. And a tear rolls down her cheek, and she never cries, and she says, I have never been so honored by anyone in my whole life, uh, not even the members of my own family. And what she's saying beneath the surface of that very simple statement is that I now see that there is no other God but the God of Yahweh, okay? And, 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 and this is what happened in Naaman's life as well. He says, I understand that there's no other God but the God of Yahweh, and I'll never worship any other God. And even when I go back into my Aramean territory, I know that there's no other God. She's saying, I realized that I was using some things other than Jesus to save me, and I lay those things down. There's something more powerful, more beautiful He's so beautiful. He's so beautiful. And the other things that I use to save me are so ugly. They're so dark. They're so boring. I love this Jesus. He's beautiful. He's wonderful. I want to be saved by him too. I want this experience of true human life that only he can give me. This is your witness, Legacy Church. This is your witness as you invite people into a diverse community. And, um, and so what am I talking about? I'm talking about you deliberately giving space for people who are different to you, giving space for people to challenge you, giving space for people that you wouldn't choose as friends, giving time and allowing three or four or seven years Jesus to work in your life. That's very important. Number two, you got to define your purpose around Jesus' mission to others. Now, this is, this is very countercultural because we are told that our, our purpose is in our personal significance. We are told that we can create an identity for ourselves, and you have thousands of ways to define yourself on the internet, and we can create this identity for ourselves, and now creating this identity that gives us power, we must be true to our true selves. I love the video. How do you know what your true self is? Uh, you never know. So, so we, 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 and now it's been reduced to however you feel. You know, if I just, if I feel this way, then I am that, and if tomorrow I feel this way, then I'm that. And, and so we have so much confusion because we're looking inwards. And I want to just tell you that you'll never find who you are by looking inwards. You'll only ever find who you are by looking upwards and outwards. You come to God and He tells you who you truly are. And then you reach out to others and you are meant to live for other people. You're not meant to live for yourself. You're not meant to become this amazing, like, 
explosion of authentic, authentic identity that's unique in the world. You are not unique. I'm sorry. You, you are unique in your fingerprints and the way that God loves you, but you're not so different from the rest of humanity. What, what makes you powerful and purposeful and, 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 and glorious is your mission to other people. And again, I... I had, I had this challenge. I grew up in a certain kind of neighborhood. I went to a, a, a school that was very, like, suburban, very safe. There was no crime in our areas. And when I went to university, all of this got challenged. And when I was in university, I found out that um, there was two groups of people. I had, I had a group of people from my kind of neighborhood who I'd grown up with and, and were very familiar to me and gave me a sense of security in my identity. And, and then there was all of these people from all over the Diafrican diaspora living in, in residence with us. And what would happen is on the weekends, the, the people who were like me, they had holiday homes and cars and money to travel and do all kinds of things, and they would go off and, uh, and, they'd, and, and, and then the other people would stay. And so literally every Friday, I didn't know it at the time, but I was facing a choice of identity and idolatry every Friday afternoon because these guys would be like, yeah, come, bro, let's go to Belito. It's going to be kif. It's going to be nice. It's going to be lacquer. Come, come to Belito. Come to the house, you know. And, 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 and I was looking at this, and, like, and I went a couple of times, and then I realized, actually, the people that I'm falling in love with, because in our, in our, in our res, we were inviting people to, to pray with us in our room. We were feeding people in our kitchen. We had all-night prayer meetings in the res hall. We were doing all sorts of stuff on campus. Just the people that God was using to form something beautiful in me, they were staying. And I had to, I didn't know it at the time, but I was, I was facing a prophetic decision. I had to think, am I looking for a place of comfort and power, or am I going to turn left and find a place of purpose and missional identity that's around other people? And, and when you decide, when you decide that your life is not about you, you just have so much joy because you actually know who you are. Number three is we've got to develop a deep sense of loyalty, a deep, deep sense of loyalty. Um, you've got to understand that your life, your significance is, is, is not found in yourself, for yourself, and your own plans, but in surrendering to a community and loving a community over a protracted period of time. We've produced a generation of consumer Christians who will go to another church because they don't like the worship, or someone says the most mild thing that challenges the idol in their hearts, and they're like, you don't understand me. Let me go where I'm celebrated or, or where I can hide in a bigger community. And, 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 and actually, what needs to happen is we need to become deeply loyal to the people that we believe. We can't be casual in these relationships. We have to believe that Jesus has chosen us, ordained us, for this particular local expression of the body of Christ. And when you do that, amazing things happen in your life. Uh, you know, I served under a man who was much older than me um, at the time, and he wasn't cool. He was a good man, but he wasn't cool. Um, and I decided I'm just going to learn everything I can from this man when I get into the ministry. Just, I was just doing whatever needed to happen. I remember one night where I was supposed to serve in church on a Sunday morning. We had stuff happening on campus on a Sunday night, and I had papers and stuff due, and I, I, I was like, I cannot oversleep for church because I'm going to let this man down. I cannot oversleep for church. I finished up my work at about half past three in the morning. I knew there is no hope of me hearing an alarm. Anybody have a night like that last night? And that's why you're at the second service, right? Um, and, uh, and so I went and I, I parked in his driveway and I slept in the car because I would rather, I would rather, I would not let this guy down. Can I tell you something? Uh, just getting close to that person formed me into the person that I am. 
And you guys need to make peace with the fact that God has placed something on Jason and Sue Render that is beautiful. You may not yet understand it. You may not agree with it. You, you may not even uh, fully uh, have unpacked all of the layers. You may be new here. There may be stuff you disagree with, but your destiny, your purpose is linked to what God is doing in this community as shaped by your leaders. You need to get into a, a cell group or a connect group or whatever you call them and ask people to speak into your life. Say, tell me about myself. I give you permission. Form me into the image of God. I want to become like the best version of Jesus in you. Right? And the awesome thing about church is none of us are perfect. And we have to sin against each other in order to learn the grace of God. Oh, it's very quiet in here. We never learn the grace of God until we get hurt in community, actually. Because those wounds expose our idols, right? So I want to just make an, an, an assurance to you. If, you. if you get close to this church, you will experience pain. But if this was a building site, we would say, put on a hard hat. There's bricks and stuff falling here. We're building something. God's doing something. Don't expect it to be clean and cute and fit all your preferences and never cause you to do anything difficult or there never be conflict. This is a building site, for goodness sake. We're building something. Keep building. Keep going. Work through the difficulties. Stay here for 10, 15, 20 years. If you're a student, put the best three years of your life into this community in Jesus' name. Does this help you? And I want to, I want to invite you now, just to, to respond, 